0: Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6 tonight. I brought my one of my favorite cups with me. I like this cup because it has all things Houston on it. If you look at it up close, it has pictures of crawfish and longhorns and cowboy hats and brisket and tacos and rockets and um, all kinds of fun things to kind of picture what various things that represent Houston, and I often will drink things out of this while I'm sitting at my desk and studying here at church. But when I picked up my cup today and I looked inside of it, I realized that I had forgotten to wash it. And so, while this cup looks very nice on the outside, it doesn't look very nice on the inside, and uh, it definitely needs to be washed out before I use it again. And if you don't believe me, you're welcome to come up and look at the residue stuck in the bottom of my cup here. But I would say that most people, well, okay, it might not kill you to have whatever's left in the residue from my cup in the morning. It would not be very appetizing to drink anything out of this cup. But I think this cup is a helpful representation of what I want us to look at tonight from this Sermon on the Mount and the importance of being clean on the inside. A cup doesn't do us much good if it's only clean on the outside, right? It's important that the cup be clean on the inside or it's just as unappetizing as if uh, the outside were perfectly clean. But if the inside's not clean, it's, it's no good. And we would want to clean the inside before we would drink out of it. So think about that idea as we look at this passage tonight because Jesus is dealing with another one of the Ten Commandments. Last week, he dealt with the Sixth Commandment, thou shalt not kill, and we looked at the truth that according to Christ, based on anger and hate in our own hearts, that we're all sinners that way, that we've all broken the Sixth Commandment, and it's easy to sometimes think that, well, I'm pretty good, I haven't broken any of the really bad commandments, I mean, maybe some of the little ones here and there, but I've never killed anybody, But according to Jesus' word here, to even think hatred or anger towards someone else in your heart before God's eyes is the same as if you committed the action with your hands. Now, I realize you won't be convicted in a court of law here in in our country for thought crimes, but someday we're all going to stand before God and give an account for what went through our mind as well as what we did with our hands. And tonight, Jesus is dealing with the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And so as we think about this, make sure you're following along and thinking about it in reference to really the importance of being clean on the inside. Clean on the inside. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 27, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. There's The command that Jesus is referencing, the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And here Jesus is continuing to unmask the self-righteous externalism that was typified by the scribes and Pharisees. They were saying, as long as you're clean on the outside, it's okay. As long as everybody looks at you and thinks you're doing right, it's okay. As long as you've not committed these sins physically, then you are doing okay. But Jesus is pointing out that the only righteousness that's acceptable to God is righteousness that comes out of a pure heart, being clean on the inside, clean on the inside. So without the purity of the heart, the outward show makes no difference. You might have the cleanest cup on the outside here tonight. But if you're inside, if your heart is not right, it makes no difference to God. But isn't it easy in our world because all we can see, I can only see your outside. From sitting here, you can only see the outside of that cup. Some of you say, it's too far away. I can't even see the outside. But you can only see the outside. You can't really tell what's on the inside of this cup unless you got down and really looked in it. And the same thing is true with our lives. You can't see the inside of somebody's heart. You can't see what they're really like on the inside. You can only see what's on the outside. So naturally, we all tend to be really focused on looking good on the outside. And that's okay. But if we do that, and forget to focus on the inside, then we really haven't helped ourselves out at all, have we? That's what Jesus is going to be talking to us about tonight. See, God judges the origin of your sin, not just its manifestation, or even lack of manifestation. People sometimes would say, well, I'm I'm a pretty good person. I've never done that sin. Well, I've never killed anybody. Well, we already... Dealt with that one last week. Sorry, in God's eyes, even the anger in your heart, God will judge the same as He would physically taking someone else's life. Proverbs 23.7 says it very simply, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's on the inside is what God is most concerned about. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's house and God sent him there to look for or, or to uh, to anoint the next king over Israel and remember Jesse brought out his sons and he had some big strong tall handsome sons and Samuel said surely one of these will be the king God said Samuel Don't look at just the outward appearance. He said, God looks on the heart. He says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I can only see your outward appearance tonight. I can only see what color shirt you wore on the outside. Whether you're awake physically, I can't tell what's going on in your mind. I can't tell what's going on in your heart. But God can. God can. So as we look back here in verse 27, Jesus begins and he says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I want you to see first tonight as he talks about the sinful deed of adultery. The sinful deed. The sixth commandment that we looked at last week protects the sanctity of life. Thou shalt not kill. The seventh commandment protects the sanctity of marriage. But if you only rely on external righteousness, you'll break both commandments. Because the sinful heart will always attack the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. When you're angry or hate, you, in your heart, commit murder, so too when you lust after something or someone physically, you commit adultery. When you do either of these things, you despise God's law and God's name. I want us to remember that this sin of adultery is always a sin. You say, well, duh, we know that. Well, we live in a world today that would like to say that it's not. It's just like eating or drinking or sleeping. It's just to. Biological process. It's just something else that you need to do. It's just a physical need that people have. Therefore, it's not wrong to satisfy that need. The technical term for that would be hedonism. Just satisfy your flesh. You're just taking care of your body. What could be wrong with that? I mean, if you're tired, you ought to sleep. If you're hungry, you ought to eat. If you have this fleshly desire, you ought to satisfy it because it's just from your body. Here's the problem with that. Paul dealt with that quite a bit in the book of 1 Corinthians because there was a lot of wicked immorality going on in the city of Corinth. Look over, if you will, at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at a few verses there quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 13. Because this idea that, hey, adultery is just like eating. It's just something for your body. It's a good thing. That's not a new idea. That was going on even in Corinth. Paul deals with that specifically in verse number 13 of 1 Corinthians 6. He says, meats for the belly and belly for meats. That's what people would say. Hey, the food, it exists to go in your belly and your belly exists to be filled with food. Just take care of your body. But he says, but God shall destroy both it and them, the meats and the belly. Now the body, he's very clear here, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. How about that? The body is not for you to just satisfy your own desires. It's for the Lord. Think about that, boys and girls. God made your body to be used for Him. What a different idea than what is taught in most of the educational institutions in our secular world today. People would say, no, it's your body. You do with it what you want to do. But that's not what God says. No, He says, your body is for the Lord. If it's the Lord's body, then it's not your right to choose what you do with your body. It's God's right to choose what he says should be done with your body. That's very different than what we hear in our culture today. And for the believer, he goes on in verse number 15 of chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Hey, your body is part of Christ's body now. It's to be used for God's work, not for yourself or not for anybody else. That's pretty special, isn't it? Isn't it amazing to think that you have something that God says belongs to Him? A couple of years ago, my brother-in-law gave me something that was very special to him to hold on to. He was in the process of moving, and he didn't want these things to be lost or misplaced, and he needed somebody to take care of them for him. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll take care of those things. And I kept these items for him, and I kept them safe, kept them hidden away. But I knew they weren't mine, they were his. And when he asked for them back, I gave them back. But the whole time I had them, I I didn't treat them just as if they were my own. No, I treat them as if they were his. In other words, I, I took even better care of them than if it was my own. And think about that. God's given you a body that he says is for him. So you don't just take care of it because it's your body. You take care of it because it's God's. Isn't that special? That God has given you something to preserve and to take care of, to steward, to manage, and to use for His glory. Jump down, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 6, to verse 19. He asks this question. Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Not only is your body God's, it belongs to Him, it is also the place where God dwells. He's living inside of you. What an incredible thought. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Of course, it continues on, right? Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are His. You are not your own. This is why I think this topic feels controversial because we live in a world that says very different things about what you do with your body. But God says, I've given you this body and it's to be used for my glory. I've given you this body and as a believer, it's the place that the Holy Spirit lives inside. Isn't that amazing to think about? If everybody in here is a believer tonight, Even if not, all those who are believers in here tonight, that means the Holy Spirit is dwelling in each and every one of you that's a believer in Jesus Christ. That's pretty incredible. That's special. If for nothing else, that ought to motivate us to take really good care of what God has entrusted us with. The body should never be used for any purpose that dishonors The God who made it and the God who indwells it. So, the Christian should have one response and one response only to sexual temptation. Look back at verse 18, 1 Corinthians 6. Flee! Run away! Flee! Fornication! Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication... Sinneth against his own body. Joseph is a good example of this in the Old Testament. As Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he ran away. He fled. Even left his coat in her her hand because he ran away so fast and she was trying to stop him. He said, no. Why? Because Joseph understood. It's not his body. God made it. And God indwells it. I think if we were to live life understanding that the body we live in was created by God and for God, don't you think it would change a lot of how people behave with their bodies? We're dealing here with this sin of adultery that he's talking about, but let's just pause there for a minute and think about the other things people put in their bodies that are harmful to their bodies. Listen, it's not your body. God has entrusted you with it, yes. But He's the owner of it. He made it. And if you're a believer, especially, He's indwelling your body. He's living inside of you. You must always flee the temptation, the sin with your flesh, and let her see. You must deal with the sin scripturally. This is an important note to make because... Some people say, well, I know you're not supposed to commit adultery, so I'm going to make sure I never commit it, and they deal with it unscripturally. One way that's been practiced throughout the centuries is monasticism. Go and live in a cave somewhere by yourself. Go and put yourself in, uh, become a monk or, or a nun, and just be away from anybody else or People of the opposite sex, and then you won't have a problem with the sin. That's not what the Scripture teaches is the way to deal with it. Why? Think about this. The issue with the sin is not just what you put into the heart. We've already seen it. It's what's already there. It's what's already there. Your problem with sin isn't because you're you're around sinful places. Your problem with sin is because you're a sinner. Sometimes we get the idea, well, if I just remove myself from any possible temptation, then I won't sin. No. Temptation isn't what causes you to sin. It might tempt you to sin, but you sin because you choose to sin. You say, well, I, I, have, I won't choose to sin if I'm not tempted. Remember, the heart has to be clean to start with. Well, if I never commit the sin, have I sinned? Well, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Even your heart is sinful. You have to deal with it scripturally. Even Job understood this. He said, speaking about this very sin of adultery in Job 31.9, he says, if mine heart have been deceived by a woman. You see, this is not just a sin that can happen to those who are married. You say, well, it says adultery here. Isn't that part of marriage? Well, if you look at the next verse, he says, Jesus is expanding on this or explaining this. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Whosoever with a woman therefore this isn't just somebody that's married or somebody that's not this is anybody this is anybody now we've talked about the sinful deed let's talk next about the sinful desire the sinful desire this one this just really gets me though this is very convicting notice what he says in verse 28 Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, listen, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, before I get to that idea of you've already done it, the scripture here in the grammar is not saying that, well, I just happened to see something by accident. No, this idea of looking on to lust after this is looking with a purpose to sin. Does that make sense? I think that's encouraging a bit in our world that we live in today. You're driving down the road. Oh, that's a bad billboard. Look away. Don't dwell on it. Don't don't think about it. This is somebody who's looking and continuing to look. Looking to satisfy an evil desire in their heart. You see, the reality is looking does not cause you to sin because as the verse says here, you've already sinned in your heart. Well, if I don't look, then I won't sin. Well, if, if, if the glance would be what that temptation would lead you into sin, it's because the sin's already taken place in your heart. Rather, Job talks about this, that the godly heart plans to look on things that are right and true. So if we want to have a heart that's pleasing to God, we first of all need to plan to think on what is right and true. We can't just let our heart think about whatever it wants to. No, Job said in verse chapter 31 and verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Psalm 119, 37 and 38 say, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in the way. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. He said, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure You see, if you're going to flee sinful things, we have to follow after righteousness. We have to choose to think on things that are true. Paul wrote about that in Philippians chapter 4, right? Whatsoever things are true, honest and just and lovely, things that are pure. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Hey, teenager, what are you thinking about? Well, I'm not thinking about anything bad. Are you thinking about anything good? What are you choosing to put into your mind? Hey, mom, dad, what are you choosing to think about? What are you choosing to put into your mind? I didn't really choose. It's just coming. No, you do have a choice. You have a choice of what's on your phone. You have a choice of what's on TV. You have a choice of what's on the computer. And so, well, I, I, I don't know then get rid of it, right? We're going to get into that next. But the sinful desire. I just want to make this point loud and clear that this sin is not just a sin of commission. I did this. It's a sin of just the desires of your heart. And the reason you have these desires is because your heart is sinful. It's a sinful heart. Now, you might be feeling a little bit discouraged. The longer I was studying this, the more like, whoa, this is heavy. Well, if you remember, it was pretty heavy last week. But hang on, there is hope. But when you read these passages, you realize, man, Christ is setting this up where it's impossible to not struggle and sin in these areas the way we are because we're sinners, or so it sounds. So I want us to look finally tonight at the spiritual deliverance from adultery. It is a wicked sin. It is something that is even just a desire of our hearts. But it's something that God offers spiritual deliverance from. Look at verse 29 and 30. He says, If thy right eye offend thee, it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. This is quite a thought. I mean, if you were going to apply this literally, Think about it. There was a day in in which in certain parts of the world if you stole something with your hand, what did they do? They cut it off. Well, you won't steal with that hand anymore. Well, it may have stopped somebody from physically stealing. Did it stop them from sinning in their heart? What if everybody that looked on Things with lust in their heart decided to just pluck their eyes out. Would that stop them from sinning? So, what's Christ trying to say here? Is he trying to set us up with to mutilate ourselves? Is that what he's teaching us to do? Is he trying to say, well, you need to just cut your hands off, and then your hands will stop sinning? You just pluck your eyes out. That's what it sure sounds like. Well, clearly, and i'm going to look at a few, we're going to look at a couple other passages try to shed a more a little more light on this but clearly he is advocating that to deli- to have deliverance from this sin it requires radical action take some radical action on our part he wrote later on Matthew 18 says wherefore if thy hand or thy foot offend thee cut them off and cast thee from th- cast them from thee it is better for thee to enter into life halt you know stumbling around one legged or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire and if thine eye offend thee pluck it out and cast it from thee it's better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire now maybe you'll want to come up and argue with me about this interpretation later, and that's fine if you do. I'd be happy to discuss it with you. But I would say, if you believe this literally to be true, then I really think you probably should be going around with less than one eye or less than one hand. So if you're going to say this is absolutely, he's, he's saying this in a literal sense, or is he speaking sort of in a hyperbolic sense like, you ought to take this drastic action. I'm going to say it's the latter. And I think those who would try to say, well, he's, he's being absolutely, literally true in this case. Well, then why aren't you literally obeying it? <laughs> right? Because based on what we've already seen, we all have failed in this area. Okay. So I just felt like we need to make that clear because, hey, even the boys and girls, if they're paying attention. They may be like, man, church is weird. They, the Bible says to pluck out your eyes and cut off your feet and hands. I think Jesus was using kind of a, a drastic way of speaking to try to get people's attention about the importance of dealing with this sin. and The radical action required to deal with this kind of sin. Paul wrote later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. This is another wonderful passage on just the subject of taking care of your body and using it properly for the Lord. He said, If every every man that striveth for the masteries is temperate in all things. In other words, if you want to win a race, you need to be disciplined in your body. If you want to win in an athletic competition, You've got to take care of what you put in. If you're going to go win in a boxing match, he's going to use that illustration in a minute, then you can't eat large pizzas every day and then go box. No, you'll just feel sick, right? So what does he say? He says, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So even unbelievers who are athletes take care of their body because they want to win a crown, but it's a crown that won't last, right? Hey, you win the NBA title, great, but somebody else will win it next year. But he says, the believer, we're running to win a crown that is incorruptible. It'll never pass away. That's a pretty awesome first prize, isn't it? Because you get to keep it forever. And he says, therefore, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, he says, I, I'm not running, not sure where I'm going. I have, a, I have a clear goal in mind. I'm not just like shadow boxing. I, I'm fighting an actual person. I, I'm fighting after something that's real. He says, I keep, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul talks about the importance of this discipline of self-control that still brings up the problem. How do we deal with this sin in our heart? Is it just through better self-control? I would say it's not through self-mutilation because that doesn't fix your heart problem. Just like I can't fix what's inside the cup by only washing the outside of the cup. That'd be the idea of cutting off your hand or you're plucking out your eye. It's not just better self-control like, well, when I drink from the cup, I have to be careful only to drink from this one little area because the rest of it's kind of dirty inside. No, I can pour all the fresh drink into the cup I want. It's still dirty because what's inside is dirty. So self-control isn't the ultimate answer to dealing with my sin. There needs to be something even greater than that. I mean, it is true that if there's something morally or spiritually that's trapping us or causing us to fall into sin, right, that's a temptation, we ought to eliminate it from our lives quickly and totally. I think Christ is teaching us that even in Matthew chapter 5. It's always wrong to have physical relations with somebody that you're not married to. Sin has to be dealt with radically. Yes, cut it off. Pluck it out. But getting rid of harmful influences will not change a corrupt heart into a pure heart. And Christian, this is so important to understand because if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the process now is taking place in your life called sanctification. God's changing you to be like Jesus Christ. But if you just try to get rid of all harmful influences, that doesn't fix your problem. What do you need? See, just as the outward act of adultery reflects a heart that is already adulterous, so the outward act of forsaking whatever is harmful reflects a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. What you really need is a heart change. You need a new heart, a heart transplant, if you will. So how do you get a spiritual heart transplant? Well, That's a gift from God, right? He gives us a new heart, new desires. And because of those new desires now I ought to be disciplined in what I put in I ought to be careful to cast out and get away from and flee temptation absolutely but you see you can't do those things without the new heart this is why somebody comes and is trying to get help with a particular sin sometimes you know, an addiction or some type of thing. While there are physical remedies that can help in the process, they can't help ultimately to deal with the sin unless the person gets a new heart. So when, and I've had plenty of opportunities for this, when a couple comes and says, well, this sin was committed or this person did this in my marriage and this was messed up or we're struggling in our marriage. I always go back to the beginning, to the gospel. Why? Because without a new heart, hey, we can try to have better discipline. We can put software on your computer to keep you from looking at things that you shouldn't look at. But none of those things fix the problem on the inside. Only Jesus Christ fixes that problem. And I just want you to understand the sermon on the mount in context because that's what jesus is ultimately speaking about here in matthew chapter 5 yes he's dealing with all these particular sins and all of these different religious traditions i thought i was going to make one more tonight but it's going to have to wait till next week and everybody's going to want to come back next week cuz he deals with divorce next and he doesn't give us any breaks He's picking all the big ones. The ones that everyone has different ideas about and feelings about. I was telling one of the guys before the service, I said, this is why I choose to preach through books of the Bible or large portions of Scripture because it makes me have to deal with the hard thing. It'd be easier just to skip around and not cover some of these things. But understand it in the context of what Christ is trying to share. You can't Live a perfect life before God in your own strength. You need a new heart. and You say, okay, I'm a a believer, so that means I have a new heart now, right? You still can't live a life that's pleasing before God in your own strength. You still need to go back to Him. Yes, confess your sin and ask Him to continue to renew your mind, and to live life out of the heart that Christ has given you. It's still a battle, right? The flesh against the spirit, and it's a daily thing. You can't win that one in your own strength. I'm not trying to say tonight that you shouldn't be disciplined, or that you shouldn't avoid things, or you shouldn't put up fences and boundaries in your life to protect your mind, and protect your eyes, and protect all those things. What I'm trying to say is those things aren't ultimately what make you sin. Sin doesn't come from without. Sin's already inside of us. So to deal with it is the same way you have to come to Christ for salvation, going right back to Him. Lord, confess my sin to You. Lord, I need Your help. And then, yes, start taking the practical steps, maybe even radical steps, to deal with the sin. If it's something with a device, get rid of the device. It's not helping you. If it's something with another person, figure out a place so you can not be around that person. Absolutely. But just getting away from all the bad people, getting away from all the bad things, won't fix the problem inside. That has to be done with Jesus. Clean on the inside. Hey, the boys and girls know how to fix this. How do I fix this cup and make it useful again? Do I have to throw it away now because it's yucky inside? Do you see that yucky down in there? Yeah. Do I have to throw it away? No. I just need to clean it up on the inside. And then this cup is functional and usable and desirable once again. Not just because it's pretty on the outside, but it's clean on the inside. Hey, Christian, it's not God's desire to throw you away. No. So well, I've sinned. I've messed up. No. It's God's desire to renew your heart, to clean you up on the inside. But you've got to admit your sin. A lot of people, I won't I don't want to admit, I'm just going to try harder that night. No. Confess it to God and let God clean you up on the inside. And then start to take the steps to allow him to continue to clean you up on the inside because we all tend to pick up a little bit of dirt along the way and ask God to give you strength. And renew your mind and focus on the Word of God and meditate on truth and memorize God's Word and abstain from evil and flee fornication and do all of those things that you should do. But do them in the strength that God gives you because He's the one that gives you a clean heart. You can't clean yourself up. It's not your body. It's His. So use it for His glory. I'm so thankful that we serve Jesus. I'm so thankful that this body's not mine. I can try to take as good care of it as I want to, but I'm going to mess up along the way. So I need God's forgiveness. I need a new heart from Jesus Christ, and I need to live for Him faithfully day by day. I think the boys and girls can understand that. We need God to clean us up. Hey, adults, we need the same thing. And if you have sin in your heart, again, I haven't actually starts here in the heart confess it to God and let's serve him faithfully together let's stop pretending it's all good on the outside but it's yucky on the inside and let's be what God wants us to be but only in the strength of the Lord because we can't do it on our own let's pray Lord we love you we thank you for your word thank you for what it teaches us Lord it's so clear Jesus was pointing this out to the scribes and Pharisees. All of their cleanness on the outside was no good because of the sin in their hearts. I'm afraid too often many Christians fall into the same trap of looking, working really hard to keep the outside clean, but they've neglected the inside. Allowed it to become full of the cares of this world and the temptation, wickedness that they keep covered and do it sneakily so so that nobody else knows about it and therefore it's okay. Lord, You know. You see. We might look on the outward appearance, but You look on the heart. Lord, help us, as Your Word says, to confess our sins because You're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't deal with our unrighteousness on our own through discipline or through self-mutilation or through going off in a cave by ourselves no lord we deal with unrighteousness by confessing it to you and letting you give us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ we praise you for it in Jesus name amen